wow, y'all did it. Thanks for moving, because I was like, oh, I'm going to ask him to move, and then nobody's going to move. It's going to be awkward and all that kind of stuff. So um, anyway, <laughs> for, for better or for worse, right? For better. It just so you know what? It struck me during worship, and maybe, I, maybe you're different than me, right? Because I know that people that speak see rooms differently than people that are in the rooms. I like packed houses because it makes me like that energy. But sometimes when you're, sometimes we don't like packed houses, right? We like a little bit of buffer. How many of you are buffer people? <laughs> Y'all are, I'm praying for you right now, right? Like, I get it. I totally get it. Um, but there's also this part of me that's like, we come to church every week, and we don't even know who we worship with. What's up with that? I go to the movies for that, Right? Like, you're sitting closer to people right now than you probably have in a long time that you don't know, which is why, and I feel it, the um, uncomfortable meter just went through, up, did it? Not? Now, I'm an introvert, so I, if I was where you are and heard the pastor say, move, I'd have been like, I might move out to my car, right? I mean, I totally understand it. I'm not doing this lightly. Um, but today we're talking about shame. And one of the things I want you to understand is that shame creates distance. When we are shamed, we put distance between us and others. And when we shame people, we put distance between us and them. I'm not suggesting that every Sunday that you come here and sit as far away from people as possible that you deal with shame. But I am attacking directly a culture that I believe is prevalent in the church. And all I know is the American church, right? I know when I go on mission trips, I don't sense this stuff in those churches. But then I talk to those pastors and they probably sense the same thing, right? Because that's their home but in the American church that I know, we have embraced distance and shame like it's normal. And it's not. I t I've told you last week, we talked about fear. That fear is not in the Bible at the beginning, and it's not in the Bible at the end. Fear is a normal, fallen human emotion. But it's a fallen one. Shame is also not in the beginning of the Bible. And it's not at the end. Shame is something that we feel right here, right now in this life. And it creates distance between us. And so when Jesus, I hadn't even started preaching yet. This is so good. And that also caused the anxiety meter to go up. You're like, you haven't even started preaching yet? Like, I just, I started my time. I'm on the clock. When, when Jesus prayed in John 17, do you remember what he prayed? That was the last prayer before he went to the cross and he prayed that we would be one that we would be gathered that we would be in the same place present with one another in the same place not distant from one another in the same place and I would say most churches that are meeting well, most churches are going to meet in 50 minutes. We meet early, but most churches that meet today are going to experience being in a room with people that they 
think that they should know, but also hopefully there's like silently they're praying that that person doesn't come over and ask what their name is. I mean, people that have been in church with for years, and they can even say, I know exactly where they will sit. But I don't know their name. And, and I'm, even as I say that, I'm realizing, like, that could feel like I'm shaming you, but I'm not. Like, I'm just pointing it out, right? Like, we just don't know each other. And the best churches I've ever been a part of have nothing to do with size. Sometimes they're huge and everybody knows each other. Sometimes they're small and everybody knows each other. But it's when everybody knows each other, good, bad, and ugly, and loves each other, good, bad, and ugly. Like, you walk into those places and you're like, I don't know what it is in here, but I want it. Right? Well, that was the, either the longest, worst introduction ever, or we'll just cut that part out. So thank you for moving. And um, come on, Chris. Chris was going to give a testimony last week when we were talking about FOMO. How many of you were here last week? Okay. So we talked about, like, kind of just killing FOMO. But then God changed it all. And anyway, oh, I'm, I'm totally in your way. Sorry. Ta-da. I was going to say Chris is going to give a testimony, but it looks like she's preaching. So I'm going to sit right over there. Um, she's even got the, she's got the. It, it's long. I don't know how long it is when you say it out loud, but. I guess we're going to find out. I guess so. Too. But she had told me, she said, I've got a testimony about FOMO. Um, if, if you just turn to the person next to you and tell them what FOMO means. Good. If you started out with any word besides F, you missed it. Fear of missing out. So last week we talked about death to FOMO and then also death to FOMU. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. Fear of messing up. And um, she just had told me like a couple weeks before, she's like, I've got a testimony about that. And then it just, God just did cool things last week and it didn't kind of work out. So here we go. This is, this is last week's testimony today. Chris, everybody give her a big welcome. I'm not polished at this. I've never done it before. So um, I want to start out with the word of God. Deuteronomy 33. The eternal God is your refuge. He's my refuge. And underneath are his everlasting arms. This story is about my family and specifically about me. This is how it all came out when I wrote it down. Um, I have a prayer I want to pray first. Um, Lord, help each person who hears my story. Help them to trust you and your word for them to intimately know your everlasting arms. My name is Christy Giuliano Reinhardt. My parents were Janet and Joe. I was born in 1955, which makes me 68 years old. I have one twin sister and I have a brother. Here's my beginning. None of us ever talked about it. We didn't talk to each other. My mom never talked to us kids about it, nor any relative, nor any friends. Just one time when 
we were about four, she called her brother and her brother um, called the sheriff. I don't think she ever got hit again after that. It, it was just us kids. Threatening, intimidating, yelling, screaming, slapping, hitting, ranting, raving, and raging. Our mom really couldn't help us. We were all in the same boat. We were all silent and careful prisoners of depression, resignation, and hopelessness. The years went by in this manner. I used to search my Bible a lot for help. I didn't really know God, but I knew he was there. The verses that got me through um, are in Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 6. Um, I'm going to read that, and then I'll talk about it a little bit. <clears throat> Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instructions of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but, <clears throat> excuse me, as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. My verses are only one page apart. <laughs> I knew with great clarity and since I knew with great clarity what the sincerity of heart meant. I didn't look so much at the fathers don't exasperate your children because um, that was obviously still happening. But the heart of the matter to God was the sincerity of my heart to him. I prayed through that section probably thousands of times. Um, my mom took pills as the years passed. She made the rounds of different doctors and pharmacies in the next county. And she attempted to end her life <clears throat> when my sister and I were in the seventh grade. And again, in the eighth grade, there were many weeks and months of her time in a locked down hospital. Um, and both times she had shock treatments, which in the late 60s were very crude. Um, the af after results were very alarming. After many weeks and months of outpatient therapy, 
that guided her to get a job, and she became a ward clerk. She loved her work in the hospital on 3 to 11 and her new friends. She worked there about two years. She trusted her friends, and they covered for her. In the 60s and into this 1970, ward clerks prepared the medications for the nurses to pass out. And she had access to all of that. She did talk to her friends about our home life and eventually she thought about escaping. But she had to get clean first. Usually she woke around woke up at around 12 noon and took about two and a half hours to get ready for work. And sometimes on ending the shift, she'd only make it to the park bench out on the sidewalk and fall asleep there. Living with all this was heartbreaking and it was alienating. She didn't want to physically abandon us three kids. She had to get clean to escape. So she tried to go off everything, but she tried it all alone. She kept her bedroom door locked. She cried out and she screamed for two weeks straight. She went less in to comfort her. Her records revealed her hospitalizations and her history and no doctor would accept her case and no hospital would admit her. Her systems were shutting down and she was finally admitted after two weeks. But it was too late. <clears throat> she um, slipped into a coma and two weeks later, she was gone. It was four days before Thanksgiving in 1970 and her 37th birthday was two weeks away. My mom was a vibrant and vivacious person. The, the effort to switch gears anytime she went out must have been enormous. I'm so glad she's in heaven now, joyful. All the tears and fear wiped away. We continued in this same misery at home. <laughs> One time, I had two black eyes. In the spring of 71, I was still 15 and attended a crusade. And I rushed down the bleachers as fast as I could and repented of all sin and said yes to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The person I had searched for all these years now lived in me and he lives in me now. He is my strength and my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge with his everlasting arms. The last time I was hit, I moved out. I was 19. Um, as far as being a teenager, I did a lot of the stuff ill-advised that teenage dating people often do. I heard the Holy Spirit telling me no, but I didn't, I didn't listen. I wanted what I wanted. <laughs> it made battling depression so much worse Probably it was a shame, Cecil. <laughs> I got very fearful. I was lonely. I had no direction or solid roots or training. 
Fear consumed me um, my first year of college. <clears throat> I can't overstate my fear. I was afraid of missing the boat with Jesus. My fear of missing out. <clears throat> Not my salvation, but everything else. I'm too depressed. I'm too self-conscious. I'm too alone, too despairing. I'm too dense. I went through my Bible trying to get on track the fear and depression seems to go on forever and ever. One day, Holy Spirit showed me a verse that, was, that has become my life verse. I never noticed it before, and you'll probably have never noticed it before either, but you will recognize the verses that come right before. I'm gonna be in Philippians 3. <clears throat> And I'm going to start at 3, verse 12. <clears throat> Not that I have already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, for forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Okay, my life verse is Philippians 3.15b. So here is A. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And here is 13, or verse 15b. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Seems like a funny verse, but that's the verse he gave me and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> um, God will show me. He will show you. We're, we're not too alone. We're not too self-conscious. We're not too dense. He is showing the way and showing you, too. Paul encouraged men and women and children everywhere to follow their example. Do you see an example? Follow the example. Read God's word a verse at a time. It only took a half a verse. <laughs> the next verse after that is verse 16, Philippians 3:16. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Um, that, that's a loaded one, too. His salvation, his goodness, his kindness, his love, his generosity, his eyes, his ears, his hands and feet. He is showing us. He loves you. He loves me. He saved me. With a half of a verse, he saved me. 
Um, and he, he has used that verse so many times in my life. I know it doesn't, I know it's not really literal, but saving me in a, not saving me in a physical sense, but it saved my life. It saved my life. Hitting the bottom is very real. I still battle depression sometimes. I battle the fear of going out alone. If I'm with somebody, I'm okay. Sometimes I call it cancel stuff. Early in my life, most of my adult life, I frequently called off at work. I just couldn't do it. My marriage had a lot of good. I have four great children, and I had a wonderful nursing career. We adopted our last two as newborns when our first two biological children were in high school, so um, it was an adventure. This week, um, Joseph, he's next oldest after Lainey, is going to turn 30, so my babies are growing up. <laughs> my marriage was never right. Um, I guess I won't delineate all the ways it wasn't right. Um, but finally, I got sick to my very core, broken down in a million ways. I took pills. I went to a hospital three hours away in handcuffs. After the 39 years, 39 years, I left home. Two years later, he divorced because he was getting remarried. That was nine years ago. I have a different life now. My Lord keeps on saving me every day. I end with this. One of our God's names is Redeemer. Redeemer. In 1993, the week after my dad was diagnosed with inoperable, inoperable cancer, he got an unexpected visit by a, a pastor he knew. My dad didn't go to church. He was planning his funeral that day so his wife wouldn't have to. And two weeks later, my dad met Jesus face to face. That man led him to the Lord. So God is our redeemer. <laughs> Thank you. I think that was perfectly positioned for today.
You can go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 5. We're going to read a story about a woman that had an issue of blood. But I want you to hear this because I, I think that the Lord is, well, I don't think I know. He is really set to set this whole thing up today. And I want you to hear me say a few things as your pastor. Church is messy. Which is one reason why people come and go so much. Because it gets too real. And part of my prayer over the last three or four years, because we are not immune from the mess. Is that God would develop in me and in Wendy. Um, I, don't, I didn't have this language. We found somebody that, shared, that uses this language all the time. I think it comes, ultimately it comes from Dallas Willard. Which if you're looking for people to read, he's dead now, but he's so good. Um, he talks about being a non-anxious presence. And we have prayed that God would help us to be a non-anxious presence for people and for, and for our church. I think sometimes what happens on Sunday mornings, um, and not so here, let me just say, because some of y'all are probably looking at the clock. I'm looking, I'm looking at the clock. <laughs> what are we talking about? It's counting down right now. Um, can we just agree that I'll just talk until we're done? I mean, I won't keep you here. Like, if, I'm, if I could talk till 6, we won't stay till 6. I'll talk until I can tell we're done. And then we'll just pick it up next week. I'm not in any rush to, like, fit a series into a certain number of Sundays. God's so much bigger than that. So I'd rather be faithful to the moment. But I felt I had to sense this morning when I walked in that, and it could just be me, but I feel like when we come to church and we spread out, I feel like the, the empty seats between us remind us of who isn't here. And they keep us from loving the ones who are. And I feel like our church has been victim to that since the pandemic. And I'm ready to kill it. Even if it means we lose some of y'all because I had you sit close to each other and you still haven't introduced yourself to the person that you still don't know. I'm okay with that. We're okay with that. Numbers don't rattle me anymore. What rattles me is potentially standing before God and him unveiling all of the things he wanted to do through our church that, would, that required intimacy and true unity and it never happened because we were not willing to be the ones that led it so I would encourage you to sit like this when you come to church even though I know it'll be a lot easier to go back to where you were sitting before and I thought about that Chris, Christy while you were sharing One, I'm so honored. I mean, I just feel the weight of you just, we're talking about shame. You just exposed a part of your life to us, a big part of your life to us. And it's one thing to, to shrink the distance, which are you, I'm so off the cuff right now. I'm just, I keep on, I keep on, are y'all good? Are y'all good? Like, I hope this is making sense. What Christy just did when you, when you take the risk of 
opening up your life and allowing somebody to know you. And again, this is part of our journey. We're on it. You're going to get sick of hearing it. But I think we have, we've, we've not embraced the full gospel when we come to church to learn more about God, but don't let people learn more about us. I'm, I'm just, I'm done, y'all. So either, either, you're, either we're going to embrace this and grow, or I won't be here, or you won't be here, because we'll just end up killing each other, right? I'm, I'm so, I so don't want normal church. Does that make sense? I'm not leaving. I'm just telling you, like, I just want you to feel the angst in me, right? Like, I just want something so real. So we come, and we're like, I, teach me something new, Pastor. Teach me something new. And, y'all, I feel that pressure because I'm not that smart. I mean, I went to school for this, but, like, no. Like, that cannot be the motivation. We might actually achieve more for God if our motivation on Sunday was not teach me more, Pastor, but I'm going to meet somebody and learn their name and take them to lunch. Like if we actually came to church together and did this together. Anyway, we're so into that right now. Um, and so when, when I said, hey, like, look at the, like, shrink the distance, right? Shrink the distance. So when we open our lives, like Christy just did, and we say, hey, I'm going to let you peek in. Or, because I know Christy and she's okay with me saying this. Christy didn't just say peeking. She went, that's how she is. I mean, that's how she, and I love that. When we do that, the next action is the most important one. What will we do now? And shame let me give you the last, this might be the only thing I get to say all, the whole time. Two lines. Shame buries us with our past. Grace resurrects us from our past. So the enemy is more than happy to heap our past on us, right? Keep us buried. But when somebody gives a testimony, somebody says, let's go get coffee, somebody shares a, a part of their life that's vulnerable and raw and not completely healed, they have just poked through the dirt. Are you seeing, I'm trying to make sure you see the visuals, it's like their hand just came through, like those creepy mo movies that people want to watch this, this time of year, like why? I don't even understand it. You're like, I'm just sitting here and all of a sudden a hand pops out of the dirt, you know, but they've just reached out and said, here I am, here I am. And then if our response is to go back to more distance, then we just took a shovel and buried them. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care how it makes you feel. God will never bless churches that keep people buried. Because he's the God of resurrection. Well, how do you work that out? Messily. Is that a word? It is now. <laughs> Can we make that a t-shirt? It is now. <laughs> All right. So can I just try to, anyway, I, it was a long thing to say thank you for sharing and um, for trusting us with that. And somebody should probably take you to lunch after church. A whole bunch of people. We so want, we want people to be known. 
I need to be known. I feel like I'm in a counseling session. Do y'all? Are you good? Some of you are like, I ain't never going to go back to this church. Hey, and can I tell you, tell you this? No shock there. We've, we see a lot of people not coming back. I'm cool. I mean, unless y'all just want to get a different pastor, and that's fine too. But I'm okay with this. I'm not panicked, y'all. I'm not panicked. God, he is shrinking the body, the core. He's like bringing everybody in close. And from that place, y'all, our city is going to change. Our church may never be big, but our city is going to change, right? And you just need to hear us say, that's fine. It's fine. We're good because he's doing something so beautiful in this body. Okay, Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34 is what we're going to read. You've heard this story I'm going to talk super fast and try to get through as much of this as I can. And then I'm going to show you a four and a half minute video clip from The Chosen. And you're going to be like, why don't you just show that, right? Because I'm, I, you pay me to do this. I have to preach, right? I don't have to preach. All right, Mark chapter 5. Um, full disclosure, this is one of Wendy's favorite stories. It, is it, it, might be your, it might be your favorite story. And I love preaching her favorite story because she's like, Don't mess it up. It's so good. Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through through 34. I'm going to read the whole thing. Here we go. It says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. I just realized we picked this story up in the middle of a bigger story. So when you read that whole story, a man has come and said, my daughter's dying. Will you come with me? And Jesus said, yes. And so on the way to heal somebody else, there's this big crowd of people that are following Jesus. You'll see this in the clip when we play it. And so in that crowd is this woman. Are you with me? That's why it says a woman was there. Where? In the crowd, following Jesus. So it says a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. I love the medical profession. My dad was a doctor. His dad was a doctor. Maybe his dad and his dad and his dad. But, man, doesn't verse 26 sum up a lot of people's experience? I saw every doctor that took all my money, and I'm, be- I'm not better. Right? So that's where she was. If you've been in that place, and I know, I know some people in this room are in that place, Jesus gets it. Right? There's your, you're in the Bible. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, interesting, this is the year to proclaim. So if nobody ever talked about Jesus, she wouldn't have heard about Jesus, but she did hear about Jesus. Somebody was bold. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, didn't say, didn't tell anybody. This was all in her head. This is how shame operates. You stay in here. But if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Y'all, I don't, I don't even know if I have that kind of faith in Jesus sometimes. I think I say stuff like, well, if I touch his clothes, I might be healed. Maybe he'll see me. Maybe I'll just feel better. Maybe I'll have better good days next week than bad days. Like, she was like on it, right? If I, t- if I touch him, I will be healed. Verse 29, this is the miracle that a lot of us are praying for. How long did it take? Immediately. 
immediately her bleeding stopped. Y'all, I want to see people delivered immediately. I'm not trying to be funny, right? But like if you struggle with hitting people because you're angry, I don't want you to have, I want you to have an immediate deliverance. I don't want you to come in next week and be like, hey, pastor, it's a pretty good week. I only hit seven people, right? And then the next week, I'm getting better. I only hit five. Well, last week was terrible. I really, I lost, I hit like 10 people. Like we want to be delivered immediately. And she was immediately her bleeding stopped. 12 years of misery. And in this culture, 12 years of isolation. 12 years of hiding. When she went to the doctor, she didn't blare the radio in her car. Well, they didn't have cars. But you know what I'm saying? Like she didn't announce it. Hey, y'all, here I come. She was like hiding, going to the doctor. She couldn't touch people because if she did, they were ceremoniously unclean. That was her life for 12 years, isolated from people. That's what shame does. It creates distance. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. This is not a teaching on healing, but if you get prayed for for physical healing by some of the crazy people in the church, just the normal people, just normal Christians, y'all, you might get asked the the. Like, you've, if you've been to the doctor, you've had them say, like, rate your pain, right, 1 to 10. So we do that kind of stuff. Like, if you came up to me and said, man, my back's really hurting, I would probably say to you, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad is it hurting? And you would say, uh, 7. 7. All right, well, let's pray. And then we would pray some super spiritual prayer like, Jesus, touch this person's back. And then I would say, I mean, what number would you give it now? Last week, y'all, right here after church, I watched a man. He's a young man. I knew him when he was a boy, but he's a young man now. He just happened to be home on furlough, and he came to our church. And he, literally, he started weeping. I'm not making this up, right? Like, you've heard the expression, tears of joy. He was weeping, laughing, smiling, snotting, all the stuff. And I was like, what's going on? He goes, Literally, when I walked in here today, I couldn't do this. Uh, I can't do that now anyway. But, you know, you know, it was like he was just like walking around doing this. And I was like, what, what are you, what's wrong? He's like, my back was killing me. I couldn't do any of this stuff when I walked in here. And he's just weeping. He could not believe that his back wasn't hurting. I was like, well, what number would you give it? I think he said three. And we were like, well, let's pray to negative numbers. <laughs> you know, so we prayed again. And then he starts crying again. Like, that's what this woman was experiencing. She felt in her body. And I'm not knocking faith and confessions and all that stuff. And sometimes we're like, hey, even though we prayed and you didn't get healed, but, like, God still wants to heal you. So, like, just, you know, like, she didn't walk away going, I'm acting like I'm not bleeding. She felt in her body that she was freed. So that happened immediately. And then verse 30 is another at once, right? At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And verse 31 was, as his disciples going, um, Jesus, like, with all due respect, I know you're God. I think you're God. You seem to be different than other men. And clearly, there's a crowd 
everybody's touching you. Right? And I don't have time to preach this and unpack this, but I'm going to drop this little nugget. You can jot it down if you want to. The, the church is full of people who crowd around Jesus, but don't touch him with intent and purpose. She's, he said, who touched me? And when they said, everybody's touching you, he said, no, I felt power be released. Are you content to just be around him, or do you want to touch him and have his power released? That's a you question. You know, I don't. They said, you see the, you see the people crowding around you, and yet you ask who touched me, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear. Why was she trembling with fear? Well, because he's Jesus. She's trembling with fear because she has lived in shame for so long that she just wanted to get in there, touch his garment, get healed, and go home. She wanted to keep the distance. And Jesus said, not today, Satan. Not to her, Satan, but to Satan, Satan. Not today. Mm -mm, No, no, no. We're not going to have a woman get healed and stay in the dark. Jesus called her out, and here's why. Because shame always causes us to hide, and shame thrives in secret. I love to listen to Brene Brown. She's an author. She, um, she well, I just tell people she's a church woman who is really smart and cusses a lot. If you listen to her books, she does like to cuss. Um, but she, she's... She's a research person, and her whole mission in life is to start a global conversation about shame. And she's from Texas. You can just imagine the stories that she tells. Big, bold, you know, all the things. She says this, shame is the most powerful master emotion. It's the fear that we're not good enough. I will not say this person's name right. Lisa Turkus, Turk- 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 is that right? She's Proverbs 31. I know who she is, but I don't know how you say it. Turkhurst, thank you. Listen to this. Shame on you is not a message from God. It's a message from the accuser. Christine Kane, I do know how to say that name. She says, shame does not create change. It's an emotional reaction, not a plan of action. Shame thrives in secret places. Which is why what Cecil shared earlier that when when they were naked and knew no shame, that's how God created us. Keep your clothes on, right? He, he created us to be known and not be ashamed. And so that's how the world started. And after they sinned, they suddenly, the Bible says, back to immediately, immediately their eyes were open and they realized that they were naked. And they made clothes to cover themselves. Why? Because they were ashamed. Shame thrives in secrets. And so Jesus calls her out. She falls at his feet, trembling with fear. In verse 34, he said to her, listen here, woman. Is that what he said? Daughter. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You know, I'm all about looking up Greek words so I can sound smart. 
So I looked up the Greek word for daughter and found out that it means daughter. <laughs> but it also means acceptable to God. So he looks at a woman who's lived, lived with shame for 12 years, has paid people to free her from it and still is not free and is now broke. And in that culture, in that society, she was not acceptable to God because she was impure, unclean. And he says to her, the first word she hears him say is, daughter, you are acceptable to God. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. A couple quick points about shame. Shame, I said shame grows in secret, and shame is also contagious. I believe one of the reasons why Jesus called her out was because as she was pushing her way through the crowd, she was bumping up against people. I don't know what I'm doing here, but it's fun. And so when she, when she was finally exposed, all the people that she had touched would have been like, oh, I'm unclean. And Jesus was making sure that they knew that they were also clean because now she was clean. That if shame is contagious, so is freedom. And sometimes if we don't share our story, people don't get set free. Shame kills, Jesus kills shame at the cross. Cecil kind of referenced this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and I'm almost done. Get that video ready, please. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, verse 1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He took shame to the cross, y'all. Shame wasn't a part of God's plan at the beginning. They were naked and didn't feel shame. And shame crept into the world through sin. And Jesus took care of it at the cross. Do we still struggle with shame? Yes. Because it's part of the normal fallen human condition. But the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be different from the world. Right? It doesn't mean that we never feel stuff. It just means that we have a way to respond to it that... People that aren't following Jesus don't have. When we feel shame, we should be able to say that was killed at the cross. He scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Listen, I'm not trying to overstate it, but when we feel shame, the answer to that is to see Jesus. Just to look at Jesus. To remember that we're accepted by him, that we're loved by him, that he calls us daughter or son, acceptable to God. A few more verses, just so you know that shame has no part in our life as a believer. It's going to still show up, right? But then what do we get to say to shame? Go to, you're supposed to say heck, but whatever. No, I'm kidding. Go to hell. Are y'all okay? Go back to hell. That's where shame comes from. That's where shame belongs. 
It has no part in my life. Romans 10, 11, as scripture says, anyone, raise your hand if you're, if you're, if you fall into that category, anyone, anyone, some of y'all are like, I'm not sure, man, y'all, come on, you, this is why we're doing scare tactics, because churches have caused fear, shame, and manipulation in your life, you're scared of every question a pastor asks that you might get it wrong, and he will call you out, or she will call you out, so how many of you, raise your hand if you fall into the anyone category? That's everyone. Anyone is everyone, right? Anyone who believes in him will how often? Never, never be put to shame. Our Savior doesn't shame us. He never puts us to shame. Psalm 3.3, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head. Have you noticed that shame always pushes your head down and the Lord always lifts your head up? Isaiah 57, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. That means I'm going, right? And I know I will not be put to shame. Because part of the, part of the flavor of the Greek word, for, of the Hebrew word for shame is dis- disappointed. And if you want to learn a Hebrew word, it's boosh. B-O-O-S-H, boosh. And it means to be ashamed, to be disappointed. And we think of, like, when I think of, like, I'm ashamed, would I be turning red? Like, like we think of embarrassment and blushing. But you know that in the, in the Hebrew, boosh actually means pale. Like when you're caught and all the color drains from your face. Not a good feeling. That's what shame does. But the Bible says that I know I will not be put to shame, that he is the lifter of my head, that anyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. So we can come out of hiding. We can expose the worst parts of ourselves. Even in a testimony. Like, y'all, Christy is 100% a follower of Jesus Christ. Would you agree? She has no reason to feel ashamed about anything in her past. And yet I can guarantee you this. By the time I finish and we leave, she'll already be attacked. She'll already feel like, what do they think about me now? You know what the answer to that is? Just pray for Christy. Hashtag pray for Christy. I mean, do it 12 minutes a day, right? We talked about that last week. The the answer to that is to walk over and go, I'm so glad you're a part of our family. I'm so glad that God allowed us to go to church together. I'm so glad I was here to listen to your testimony. And some of you are going to walk over and go, can, can we grab some coffee? Because in your testimony was something I'd like to talk about because I've experienced it. That's the antidote. That's how we get through it. That's the grace that we give one another. All right. I've done great. I've talked long enough. The countdown clock is almost over, and now we're going to wrap it up with a four-minute and, like, 38-second mini-movie. Are you ready? Um, you guys watching online, I say this all the time, YouTube's probably going to kick us off, so I think you're going to go dark, and we're going to enjoy it, but I'll put a link in the description so you can watch this clip as well. Here we go, The Chosen. Ta-da. All right. Let's just close your eyes for a moment.
So I promise we won't drag this out. I just want you to know that God is no respecter of persons. And what he did for that lady so many years ago that is recorded for us in Scripture, he can do for you today. He wants to do for you today. In 8 o'clock prayers, I was just kind of praying through today and not like quite sure what we would expect. The, the thing I kept seeing over and over again was me carrying this backpack of weight and how it was just bending me over and bending me over and how good it f- would feel just to throw it off. And I feel like that's what he's doing today. That there are some of us in the room and we are weighed down with our shame and our past. Shame has literally kept us buried by our past. And today, God just wants to resurrect you. And probably the best way for us to do that is when we dismiss. If you're here and you'd like to receive prayer, then we have a team that will just be right up here ready to pray for you. No questions asked. We're not going to dig into the stuff. We just want, I just, I just so want people. I want to see people look like that lady looked when that weight came off. Right? Yeah. So, Father, we thank you for the truth of Scripture. I feel like, you know, there is this global conversation about shame, but God, honestly, apart from Jesus, all we can do is talk about it. We need you to show us what you have done about it. And I pray in this room, for those that will watch online, I pray, God, that in this moment, there would be the freedom from shame. God, I pray for leaders of the American church, and I just pray publicly, God, asking for you to forgive us. I repent, God, for the times that churches have used people's past to keep them buried. Churches have used shame as a scare tactic, and I ask you to forgive us, God. And I pray that as as we repent, times of refreshing would come. The oil of the Holy Spirit would drip down into the, the depths, the cracks and crevices that we want to hide. And that we would truly be free. God, you so want that for us. So right now, As we come to the end of this morning, I pray for people that are sitting here that they would see your face. Look up. Look at me. See me. And that they would see in your eyes kindness and forgiveness. You are the lifter of our head.